0: Every morning, I flip a coin. Heads, I stay. Tails, I go. I'm trying to decide whether or not to leave Lauren, my husband of nearly 15 years, a two-time Iraq War veteran who just completed six weeks of treatment for a crystal meth addiction. I also go to counseling and pray and meditate. I get acupuncture to relieve the chronic stress and anxiety that seem to have taken up residence in the nucleus of my cells— I have chiropractic adjustments regularly and have altered my diet in an attempt to boost my immune system, which faltered badly in 2013, landing me in the hospital with a periorbital cellulitis infection so severe I was asked for my advance directive. I get a massage once a week. Lauren hasn't touched me with love or lust since 2010, and I am so starved for the feel of human hands on my skin that I will pay someone to provide it. I talk to other family members of veterans and attempt to have some sort of social life, which is complicated by being married but effectively single, since he is unable or unwilling, or some combination of both, to accompany me anywhere. I do all of the crap that I, as the spouse and caregiver of an 80% service-connected disabled veteran with severe post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and a mild traumatic brain injury, TBI, am encouraged to do to take care of myself, to put on your oxygen mask first. That's what the people at the Veterans Administration, VA, down here in White City, Oregon, the people who don't live with what I live with, tell me to do. None of it seems to help. So, I flip a coin. This morning, it was heads, buying me or sentencing me to another 24 hours, depending on how the day unfolds. I love my husband, but I just don't know when he's coming home, and it feels like I've been waiting far too long already. I learned how to wait during two deployments that lasted 12 and 13 months each, and then another year apart while he was at Fort Lewis, Washington with the Warrior Training Unit. Being the one left behind, without children or family or military spouse friends nearby, requires a shoring up and pulling in of emotional energy. With no one in physical proximity to open your heart to, you endure by keeping it closed. I got so good at waiting that when I came home from work one day to find a glass vase containing a dozen American beauties by the front door, tucked out of sight from the street, I wondered, who the fuck are those from? The swearing problem started during my husband's first deployment, when I was learning military culture and the acronyms and how to deal with the part of his employment contract requiring that every day at work, there were people whose job it was to kill him, and it was his job to kill them back. I wanted to kill the women who told me they understood how hard it was to have your husband gone, because their husband traveled for work too, and once he was in Dallas for like three weeks. I tried a few times to gently explain the differences between a three-week business trip to Texas and a 13-month combat deployment to Iraq, but was so quickly tuned out or met with such blank stares that I quit. Being unable to evoke my husband with words to keep him alive in conversation made it feel a little bit like he had already died. I grieved for him. I grieved for us almost every single day. At 43 and 48, we were middle-aged and getting older fast. This war was aging us in dog years. The army kept preaching resilience. How I came to hate that word. As if the problem and the cure were both wholly within my domain, if only I were a little more flexible. If only I were army strong. If only I got on board with being an army of one. A short-lived messaging campaign the army abruptly discontinued when it determined it wasn't necessarily the message they wanted to send, or perhaps it was a tad too close for comfort. If there is an army of one, it's not deploying to Iraq. I wasn't prepared at all for this life, and I still cannot quite fathom how it became mine.